wind was not the beginning. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the turning of the wheel of time. But it was a beginning. Hello and welcome. This is The Wind Was a Beginning, a podcast about Robert Jordan's The Wheel of Time. This is Season 2, Episode 12, Loyal is Twitterpated. Hello, everyone, and... Thank you for being with us again for this week's episode of The Wind Was a Beginning. My name is Justin, and the other voice you'll hear here today is the one that you know and love, one that I love very much, a good friend of mine, best friend for, uh, well, I'm not going to say how long now, but uh, Stephen, how are you doing today? I am doing good. I am glad to be here and uh, excited to talk some more Wheel of Time. Yeah, I'm not going to admit how long I've known you because then it would admit that we're getting old. So, <laughs> but it's been it's been a good while. Um, so we uh, got together last night. Well, through through the wonder of the internet, got together last night, played a little D and D. Yep, a lot of fun. And uh, I have to be honest. Uh, so you you know this, but our listeners don't know. I had a very big character reveal planned because my character recently because of situation in the game took on a level of warlock and I had this huge reveal planned how I wanted to go out and I have to say I kind of let myself down in in how it went mostly because the other players were like 200 feet away when it happened like when I was in visit visit when I when I was picturing it in my head I'll get the right word there in a minute when I was picturing it in my head like we were all going to be like right there together but they were like a hundred yards away or 200 feet away something like that but it was still cool yeah I still really enjoyed getting to uh dabble around and play in that class a little bit and uh just had a whole lot of fun uh now is that something was that something in the module or did you come up with that yourself so that was a bit of my own homebrew okay Um, all right so now there were definitely pieces of it, um, but the module at, at parts because it is so we're doing Tomb of Annihilation. If anybody knows that one, at parts it can be very bare bones in a lot of things. There's a lot of hooks and a lot of things, yeah. and so I just chose to uh, kind of pick up on some of the hooks that they didn't decide to explore and expand on them. Okay. So well, you're doing a great job, and I'm having a blast, uh, and I think our uh, other other players are as well. So thank you for uh, a good yeah. time and looking forward to the next time we get to do that, hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, all oh, right. Yeah. So shall we talk about Wheel of Time now? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> all That's right. what the folks are here for. Uh, as much as I would, I could also probably run a and d podcast uh, and talk all about that. Uh, you know what? Hey, and you know what? That could be something fun. Uh, listeners, if we the show keeps going long enough, maybe we'll do a uh, Wheel of Time-themed D&D game for you. Well, somebody else is going to... Add that as a bonus. Somebody else is going to have to edit that one because <laughs> I, got, I got my hands <laughs> full doing this one. All right. Uh, all right, so this week, uh, listeners, we are talking about chapters 34 through 36 of The Great Hunt. Uh, so if you haven't listened to those yet or... or well, I guess you could have listened to them uh, via audiobook, or you could read them, either hard copy or Kindle, or however you want to read them. Uh, just make sure you're familiar with those chapters, and then come back and uh, we'll have a discussion about those three chapters. So, uh, let's begin. We'll begin in Chapter 34, The Wheel Weaves. Tom Marilyn returns to the Bunch of Grapes to find Dina murdered in their bed and two assassins waiting for him, seeking information. After killing them both, Tom learns from the innkeeper that Barthanus is dead, and these assassins actually belonged to the king. Trouble seems to be brewing in Kyrian as Tom sets out from the inn with renewed purpose, but to the west in Falma, Padden Fane presents the Horn of Valir to High Lord Turok, 
under the pretense of being a descendant of loyal servants of Arter Hawkwing. But it's clear that the man definitely has ulterior motives. So what is he really up to? So I want to start with, I know something that we've talked about uh, just between you and me at different times, but um, I want to talk about grittiness and dark themes. Yeah. Because uh, it seems there are some who feel like that kind of thing needs to be added into the Wheel of Time. Like that it needs to be turned into something that's gritty and dark. But this scene in particular, and two parts of it. First of all, Tom's um, confrontation with these two thugs. And then what happens to Lord Barthanus shows that this series can get gritty and dark at times. Uh, it, it, it has its own moments. It, it doesn't need to be forced into the story. And I really like the way that, that Jordan does this because it's, it's not heavy-handed. He's not over the top with it. Uh, it's when it's necessary. It hits the right notes. And, you know, it, it's, it definitely leaves an impact. I mean, this, this whole thing with Tom particularly with the second thug when he is holding the knife right to his eye and then jabs the knife into the guy's eye. I mean, that's that's pretty gritty. And I know there's other moments like that throughout the series, or at least as far as I've read. I'm sure you know of many more than I do. So my only thing is, let's try let's not try to force it into the story. <laughs> right? Yeah. Let's uh, enjoy yeah. the story for what it is and, you know, let those moments play out naturally uh, as they're supposed to. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree completely. I think Jordan does an outstanding job of balancing. Uh, and, you know, there are these dark, heavy moments, but they're also interspersed with there are lighter moments, sure. even in the world that, you know, the dark one is a real and present thing. There's still happiness and, you know, but then again, we have these dark, somber moments, these brutal things that are going to be happening in this chapter. Uh, and they, they just work well together. The world feels real and, uh, and you know, yeah, I doesn't have to feel doom and gloom all the time. I, I think that's the thing for me is that, <laughs> It's not over the top. Yeah. You know, it, it, it fits it fits the story. Like this moment, yeah. you know, it fits for Tom to do something like this. Speaking of just Tom's sheer skill with his blades here, uh, I know I know you wanted to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, to me, uh, and this is probably just me reading into things, but so we know some more about Tom's history now. We know that he was a bard in Camelin. Uh, you know, we know there was something going on with him and the Queen. Uh, we know a little bit more about him, why he's a gleeman now instead of a bard and that whatnot. But to me, I just have to wonder if maybe Tom's role as a bard in Camelin was a little more involved than we're led to believe at first, because this guy's got skills. <laughs> yeah, he really does. Uh, you know, if for somebody who managed, you know, he's walked away from a merge all attack with a limp, yet even with right. that limp, he still basically single-handedly takes out these two guys who have the, should, by all means, have the advantage. Well, like, <laughs> one of them didn't even stand a chance. Yeah. Like, he's got, he's got a knife in his neck before he even really gets out of the wardrobe where he was hiding and, yeah. and he drops and, and is down the other one. Uh, he doesn't really have a chance either. Uh, Tom lets him live a little bit longer, but that's just so he can find out what's going on. But yeah, uh, that's interesting that you would bring up maybe some, something hidden about his backstory that we don't know about uh, that. Yeah. I just tend to wonder, you know, 
royal courts have lots of roles, you know, yeah. spy masters, assassins, you know, it just makes me wonder if he was more than a simple bard. Yeah, that's interesting because, you know, I had always chalked that up to him just feeling the need to protect himself as a gleeman. And like, so yeah. he learned the skill and, and maybe some of it comes naturally, you know, like sleight of hand, that kind of thing for some of the different tricks and stunts and stuff that he does. I always just thought it was something that he picked up as his, you know, way of being able to defend himself. But I'd never really thought about him having, you know, some other role at some point in his past. But it definitely, it definitely opens a door for a lot of possibilities. Yeah. And I can it's say just, I'm intrigued. Yeah. <laughs> he just seems to have a lot more skill than any Gleeman should. Like, yeah. Even if he's fighting, you know, and to defend himself and to protect his own life, he's a little too good. Like, he's almost like water level of good in this scene. Like, it's true. Uh, that just doesn't strike me as something you pick up as you're teaching yourself to defend yourself as a Gleeman. Like, it's a little too good. So, but that's just me. Hey, I, I can't say I like it. I, I'm on board with it, and uh, I'm definitely going to be watching Tom a little bit closer going forward. Yeah. Uh, one thing so we, we go ahead. I think it's it's really uh, sad here what happens with you know him finding Dina in the way that he does. Right. Uh, I, I I was you know. that that was really that was re I was that was really hard to read. To yeah. Be honest, because you know. You had seen these two, and you know it kind of just came out of nowhere. Like we meet Tom, and he's got this this lady friend. Uh, obviously, it's more than just like a business relationship. And he comes back and thinks that she's just you know sound asleep. And well, no, not really. Yeah. Um, and and there was really no no reason for that. You know, she was just you know, for lack of a better word, just kind of got in the way of these yeah. these thugs' agenda. Um, so it was definitely tragic that she had to die, but um, I think uh, Tom, he's got some kind of renewed purpose. Yeah. Like he leaves the scene. First of all, he he finds out, because his initial idea, because these men said they were from Barthanus, or the one that he was able to talk to said he was from Barthanus, only to find out Barthanus is dead. Yeah. Like in the time since the night before when or really I guess that same night I don't remember it was still I guess it was early morning it's yeah it's only been a few hours since he left Barthonis's house yeah I mean it's only been a few yeah. hours since we left Barthonis's house yeah and in that time that man he he's been not just murdered but brutally murdered uh yeah. torn to pieces his head mounted above his fireplace again here's that darkness and grittiness you know coming in and what I want to know is just who did it and why did they do it? Yeah. And uh, I'm not really sure. Uh, it's a mystery that I'm, I'm interested in getting some answers to. So my mind immediately jumps to, you know, we know Barthanus is a dark friend. We do. We know he let uh, Thane and everybody use the ways. Uh, my mind immediately jumps to the fact that he has done something to tick off somebody higher up in the dark friend network, uh, whether that be another dark friend or possibly one of the forsaken, uh, you know, we know from the beginning of the book that, uh, there were orders that were given to various dark friends by Balzaman. Yeah. Could he have done something in his interactions with Rand or with Padden Fane that went against those orders that ended him up like this? Because it doesn't, like, sure, the guy was involved in politics and the great game and everything like that, but I, the murder is so brutal and disturbing in how it's done. It just doesn't sound like something – like, the only political person in Kyrian who would have enough power to move against him is the king himself, and doing what he did there doesn't really feel like it would be the king. You know? Yeah. I mean, it clearly, it seems to me like somebody was trying to send a message. Yeah. But, you know, the question is, is who? Uh, I, I would imagine that, you know, the the first thought some people might have might be that the king was involved because it's it's known that there's a, 
You know, there's there's like a, a battle for power there. Yeah. But, you know, why would... It, it doesn't seem like it would be the right move to just off the guy, right? Yeah. Uh, it, seem, it seems like it would create more problems than it solves. So uh, I guess that's a mystery we're going to have to wait and yeah. see. And, well, maybe it is causing more problems already because as Tom's leaving in a little bit... The city's on fire. <laughs> things are <laughs> things are hitting the fan in uh, in Kyrian. Like we're we're leaving this yeah. city in turmoil, and I got a feeling we're not going to be back for a while. So yeah. who knows yeah. what kind of situation uh, Kyrian's going to be in when we get back? But uh, there's there, there's other stuff going on um, on the other side of the continent, really uh, far to the west as we can go with uh, yeah. Padden Fane. And the Shanchan in Falma, he's up to something. He's, oh, most definitely. He's plotting something. <laughs> he is manipulating. He's... I don't really know exactly what he's doing. I know he has it out for Rand. But beyond yeah. that, it's it's hard to say. Yeah. It, you know, it's interesting. It kind of makes me wonder how much of what we're seeing is pure Pad and Fane and how much is being influenced by what he was was done to him by the Dark One and then uh you know what happened with him and Shadow Logoth, like the influence of Mordeth. Because he's he doesn't talk and act like a simple peddler when he's before High Lord Turok, does he? No, he he doesn't, but I mean how much of that I wonder I mean he's obviously to me, it seems he's rehearsed this story, this, you know, this whole idea of his family being, you know, loyal throughout all the years, you know, keeping the oaths and waiting for the return of Arthur Hawkwing's descendants or his armies or whatever. Uh, yeah. But again, you know, it's made, I think it's made pretty clear throughout that none of that is true. Uh, even says that some of the, he had more that he could lay on if, if necessary, but, yeah. You know, um, I guess one thing that's interesting is when he finds out about the Empress. Yeah. <laughs> he he, he kind of starts to shift. He even, I think, on the spot starts to change his plans about, you know, well, he, he thought he was going to, you know, somebody who ranked pretty high. But then he finds out there's someone who ranks higher than Turok. Yeah. So. Which. It definitely fits Mordeth's M.O. Because that's exactly what he did to Arid Hall. That's right. He came in as an advisor, got the ear of the king, corrupted the king, and then the people followed suit. Uh, so this is definitely Mordeth's M.O. right here. Okay, yeah. Get in, weasel your way into a powerful position, take control, gain influence. Uh, you know, this is definitely Mordeth. And and that's poking his head here. Say that's exactly what he's trying to do is work his way into the higher up, uh, higher yeah. ranks. Um, yep. And we'll see if it works. I don't know if it'll work, but we'll we'll find out. Uh, we we, yeah. we learn a little bit more about the Shan Chan in this uh, this chapter. We we have this um, the, these two groups that that High Lord Turok mentions: the listeners and the seekers. Now I, uh, as I was thinking about the listeners, it sounded to me like almost they were like pawns in a like a Sean Chan version of the Great Game, right? They're kind of yeah. hiding, you know, maybe not hiding, but and in a way they are kind of hiding. They're hiding in plain sight, but basically they're listening, helping, you know, taking part in the plotting or you know. It's basically to me. It sounds like you know the thing. Some of the things they're going on in Kyrie in just a little different way, right? Yeah. Um. And you got the seekers, seekers for truth. Sound a lot to me like the hand of the light. Yeah. Uh, sounds uh, like there's definitely like a vein between these the seekers and like the questioners. I mean, because amongst the children, they're basically doing the same thing. They're torturing people for information. Yeah, and they, like he says, I think Turok even alludes to the fact that they already know the answers they want to hear. 
they're just going to go at you until you say what they want you to say. Right. <laughs> if you get to that point, you know, it's the whole reason why nowadays people don't like torture is only so effective because at some at a certain point, it's all they're going to do is tell you what you want to hear just, just to make, make the pain stop. stop. Yeah. Um, and they're, uh, you know, it is. You also get a hint here at just how little, especially the royal population in Shanshan, these nobles and the, the empress and everything like that, how very little other human life matters to them. Hmm. Like, they view themselves as so high above. Like, he mentions, like, Pat and Fane, like, you know, the guy backhands, the soldier that's there backhands Pat and Fane at one point for speaking out of turn. And Turok is like, if you were in the, the court in uh, Shanshan, uh, we could take your have your tongue or your ears removed just for looking at us wrong. Yeah. It's like there's no value of human life for these people. It, it's, they are they view themselves so high above the common person. Uh, it, it just sickens me. You're, you're, you're trying to bring me over to your position that the Shanshan are the worst, aren't you? <laughs> he's trying he's trying uh but yeah so pad and fane weasels his way in here by bribing high lord turok with the freaking horn of valir <laughs> just you know oh here's this little trinket my family's been keeping it for you no big deal <laughs> you know it's just yeah you know just call yeah. back the dead heroes from from the past and conquer the world and that's exactly what fane suggested he do with it wasn't it like you, yeah. you you use this and you can conquer all the way to the spine of the world and probably even beyond that and nobody can yeah. stop you but uh I, I did find it interesting that uh, turok really i mean i'm sure he had an interest but he wasn't gonna take that shot what was interesting was he knew how to open the chest yes and we've we've been talking about this. We've talked about this in a few episodes. How no one so far, no one except for an Aes Sedai. We we as have we seen or somebody who could use the power. Have we seen open the chest? Right. Yeah. So we do have confirmation now that it doesn't require the power. It's just the knowledge of a pattern. Yeah. And, uh, it's basically it's, a puzzle. It's like cube. a it's like a puzzle that uh, you know you have to figure it out. Which baffles my mind that nobody else figured it out. Maybe they didn't try. I don't know. Uh, yeah. But you would think somebody would try to figure it out and maybe get it open. But uh, So, uh, you know, we maybe had hope that, oh, maybe he won't be able to open it so it's still safe. Nope. Yeah. Nope. The horn is in Sean Chan hands now, and uh, his plan mm -hmm. is to give it to the Empress. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, Pat and Fane keeps trying to urge him to do it now. Like, I think he wants the idea of, like, the heroes writing again. Like, he's – Pat and Fane's goal here is to get the Sean Chan to go after Rand for him. Yeah. I think he wants that extra oomph of somebody blowing the horn and them going after Rand, too. <laughs> you know, you said something just then that, that kind of triggered something in my mind. You know who Pat and Fane is reminding me of in this scene? Who's that? He he's reminding me of Celine. <laughs> How she yeah. kept pushing Rand, you know, blow the horn, take the glory, be the hero. Essentially, Pad and Fane is doing the same thing to Turok right now. Yeah. So yeah. that's it's very true. He is he's it's manipulation is what it is. Yeah. Uh. But Turok's not having it because he doesn't want, like, he doesn't want the burden that comes with it because apparently he reveals, and this is new information for us, that whoever blows the horn is bound to the horn. Right. And that puts a giant target on your head, and that's not something he wants. <laughs> I don't blame him. Because while he, while he uh, uh, wants to move up and gain status and everything like that, by blowing that horn, even if he brought the entirety of this land under his foot, the minute he goes back to Sean Chan, the Empress is going to have him killed because he's a threat to her. <laughs> so, and he doesn't want that, not, at least not right now. Not worth the trouble. Yep. Just, just 
Well, leave, leave things as they are. It's not worth the trouble, which which ha- happens a lot when you're trying to seize glory for yourself. Uh, it yeah. usually doesn't always go the way that you want it to. Uh, but you, you mentioned uh, Fane has plans for our, our good buddy from the Two Rivers, Randall Thor. Yeah, and it's a little more intricate than that. And this is something I just picked up on okay. uh, in this last reread. So in the very end of this chapter... Uh, you know, after he's secured all of this and he's being escorted out, he's thinking to himself and he says, Randall Thor was his now. I will see him dead at last and then the world will pay for what has been done to me. So, you know, I'd always wondered in my head, why does he seem to focus on Rand? Because he was de- the things that were done to him, he was sent out to seek Matt and Perrin just as much. Like, they were just as much the reason for what the Dark One did to him as Rand was. Okay. But then at the beginning of this book, it's all of a sudden Rand, 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 Rand. What is he's planning? It Rand is just a means to an end in Patton Fane's mind here. Okay. From what I'm reading, so what what he's doing is he wants to kill Rand because by doing so he dooms the world. Okay. He. He is so mad at what was done to him by the Dark One and the pain and the twisting that he endured that he doesn't want to just hurt Rand. He wants to hurt the world. And so what he wants is to kill Rand, therefore killing the dragon, which would ensure that the Dark One wins and destroys the world. Basically, he wants to hand the world to the Dark One on a silver platter at this point, just out of spite. (laughs) <laughs> seems a bit excessive yeah yeah <laughs> um no you know I, I i had honestly i had wondered about that myself like why his fixation on rand and you know really what his plans were i mean obviously we know that he's a thing of the shadow now but you know not not really knowing how far that goes or what the uh implications were but I appreciate you opening that up and, and sharing that because that uh, that makes some things a little bit clearer. I think so. I, that's something else I'll be paying closer attention to going forward. Yeah, you're giving me too many things to watch out for. <laughs> <laughs> um, is that it for chapter thirty-four? I think so. All right. If you're ready. I think we can move on. All right, let's move on to chapter thirty-five. Steading Sofu. With seemingly only one way to reach Toman Head without taking months to travel, Rand and the others come to Setting Sofu in hopes that they will be able to use the Waygate. Loyal reveals more about the Ogier, and the party almost clash steel with a group of Aeo Maidens of the Spear. All right, uh, where do we begin in this chapter? Because there's, I guess what we get here, there's a lot more, there's a lot of lore. Um, a lot yeah. of information, especially about the Ogier. So why don't we start with that, and let's start with the longing. Okay. Right. I'm, I'm going to let you tell us what the longing is. So the longing is this, I guess, psychological affliction, basically, for the uh, Ogier. It's not a thing that has always been there. It's something that, so during the breaking of the world, the Ogier were scattered, uh, and they could not find the steading. And so for... Hundreds of years they wandered trying to find steading again because places that used to be plains were now deep under the ocean. Mountains were there that weren't there before. The world was completely changed. Uh, and so in that time, away from the steading for so long, they developed something called the longing. And it's basically a wasting sickness that afflicts the mind and body if they're away from the steading for too long, and it eventually will kill them if they do not find a steading. Um, So it's it's this curse, basically, that's upon them now. Even though they have the steading again now, anyone that goes out for too long, the longing starts to creep in, and they can feel it coming. That's something I I found interesting about it, was that, you know, Loyal seems confident that when it starts to affect him, he'll he'll know, right? He he feels like, you yeah, know, definitely he feels like he hadn't been out of the steading long enough yet, and he I think he mentions 
uh, one Ogier from the past that stayed out for something like 10 years and was fine. Uh, so he says, um, and I, I'm guessing he hasn't been out that long. Do we know how long Loyal's been away? A few years, okay. but not not anywhere near 10 yet. Okay. But, I mean, he's confident that he will, he'll know yeah. when, when that time comes. So uh, we can only hope that Loyal doesn't get affected by the longing, because I like Loyal. I, I, yeah. I have to say, he's one of my favorite characters. And I really don't want anything to happen to him. Uh, if it, yeah, me neither. If, if it does, uh, I'm burning my books. Uh, <laughs> not, not really. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm a pretty big loyal fan myself. He's just, uh, you know, the big lovable giant. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and there's a theory I have about loyal uh, that I can't talk about yet because it hasn't really been uh, brought up in the story, but. Um, when we get there, I can share okay. that. <laughs> um, I am intrigued. I, I can share it with you later, but not 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 while we're uh, not while we're talking recording. with our listeners. Okay. Um, uh, let, let's let's keep talking. Um, let, let's go ahead and let's move on to this um, almost almost battle. Yeah, uh, we'll, so, we'll come back. We'll come back to loyal in a minute, but let's come back to this uh, this almost disaster because there were it was just three, right? Yes, three. Aiel, three maidens of the maidens spear. of the spear in the steading, apparently looking for sung wood, um, yeah. which brings up you know the fact that loyal is a tree singer. <laughs> uh, and yeah, they make reference to him without realizing they're making reference to him. Yeah, Aerith mentions, you know, she mentions there's two tree singers there in Sofu and mentions that Steading Shengtai has a young tree singer who's very talented and Loyal kind of blushes. And we, we know because we've seen Loyal do it. Yeah. Um, and we know where Loyal's from. Uh, so we put two and two together and we know what yeah. he's talking about. Anyway, these Maidens of the Spear are there in the Steading. And it's 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 hinted in the beginning that there are other humans in the setting. We don't know who uh, they might be until we meet these three women, and it almost comes to a head, right? Yeah. Like they the 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 they start to they start to veil themselves, which is bad news if you're fighting the Aiel. Yeah. And. The few Shinarans and those that have weapons from the other side, except for Matt, are about ready to fight too. Uh, yeah. Intar, Huron, Rand. Perrin has the axe like halfway out, um, yeah. but the rest of them are ready to fight. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Matt here because Matt is uh, doing something here that nobody else has done yet. Is He doesn't want to hurt a woman. Yeah, he he makes us he makes that very clear here that he's not going to do it, <laughs> which is interesting, you know, co- where it's coming from. It's with Matt, and you know, yeah. Well, I always you know, and it seems Brand kind of thinks about it a little bit too. But uh, I've always brought it thought of it as you know that's that's their upbringing in in the two rivers, right? Yeah, and I mean, you know. Being born and raised in the South, uh, I kind of resonated with that for for a long time too, because we're, you know, we we were taught a certain way, yeah. Um, with regard to you know men and women, I I know that there's a lot of talk about things in the world today, but we uh, we were taught a certain way, yeah. And uh, seems that they were too, um, yep. So yeah, it's, it, that was interesting about Matt. Anyway, what is it that stops this from becoming an all-out fight? Uh, is mentioned mentioned? It's actually mentioned a few times. Uh, something called the Pact. Yeah. So the Ogier step in because they're like, no one's supposed to uh, bear steel inside the steading. Like there should be this shouldn't be happening. You know, it's like panic. <laughs> 
you know, panic in the streets for the ogier here because they're like, no, no, yeah. no, not here, not in our setting. And, uh, you know, reminding them of this pact, apparently, that the Ogier have with the Aiel. Right. Uh, we don't know exactly what the pact is right now, but it's enough that finally, with the mention of it, the, I- the Aiel women kind of snap to their senses and back off. Yeah, well, it, was, it was mentioned a few times. It was finally, I guess, it was at one of the elders, maybe, that steps yeah. in and gets them to stand down, but... I, I found it interesting too. I, I actually had in my in my notes that we don't really get a description of what the pact is, but apparently, maybe thankfully, uh, it stops the IEO from continuing this fight. Yeah, and, and so that brings me up to one question: So, sure. do you buy the IEO women's excuse for why they're there? Because Perrin doesn't. <laughs> I mean. Is it possible that they were there to for, for Sung Wood, but at the same time could be looking for signs of He Who Comes with the Dawn? Yeah. Could they be there for both reasons? I think they'd have to be, because they'd otherwise, even though they're looking for Sung Wood, they'd still have no reason to be on this side of the IEO waste. Yeah. <laughs> they're uh, still way too far from home to have just come for Sung Wood. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, I, I would. And. I don't have any reason to doubt their stated purpose. Yeah. But I have every reason to think that there's more to it than what they than what Aerith tells us. And, and you know, that that creates a whole thing between especially Rand and Matt because Matt is insistent that the Aiel that they met that they're talking about Rand. Yeah. And keeps even bringing up that you know, Rand is Aiel, which yep. Rand doesn't take too kindly to. <laughs> yeah, but even Rand is starting to da- have his doubts yeah. because now that he's seen these women and he notices that they have similar eyes, like basically they look like they could be his cousins. Yeah. Well, he said and he said that too about the uh, I forget the 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 name of the one they met on the road, but said that he looks just like Rand. Right? Yeah. If you put Rand in Aiel clothing, you wouldn't know that he was a Two Rivers man. Yeah, what what I'm saying though is right here, Rand is finally saying. Oh, it. Rand's admitting it. Okay, he's he's recognizing. Yeah, it. yeah. In his head, he's noticing the the similarities, like especially the the younger one. He notices that her eyes look just like yeah. his. Well, this is the first time he's actually met an Aiel, isn't it? It is. I think I thought so. So yeah, uh, you know, maybe he will start to realize which which you know everybody's been telling him. I mean, Moraine pretty much told the whole story of. Where Rand came from. Yeah. He's just got to accept it. All right, let's go back to Ogier. <laughs> <laughs> um, Loyal is nervous. Yeah. Because Loyal <laughs> seems to think that if he hangs around in the steading for too long, he's going to end up married. And apparently in Ogier culture, there is nothing he can do about it. <laughs> yeah, so... There's this interesting thing here, and it's something that Jordan plays with in a lot of his different cultures. Yeah. But from what I can glean just from this and from a further interactions with the Ogier, it is very much a matriarchy. I, I picked that up too. Yeah. So it's it's flipping the typical rule, roles in our world on its head. Uh, you know, everybody is always talking about the patriarchy in, in our modern world, but – in the Ogier society, it's very much the mothers and the women are the ones doing the picking. Yeah. Like the when a, a female Ogier decides she wants to wed, she goes to that boy's mother, and it's all set and done before the boy even knows what's happening. Yeah, there's, there's, there's <laughs> uh, really nothing he can do about it. Like he apparently has no say in the matter. Yeah, it's a very arranged marriage kind of thing going on here. Um so it's very interesting how the the roles are flipped. Yeah, I uh, I, I did like that um, Rand as as Loyal was telling them about that that uh, he came to the realization that you know things aren't really that much different in Emmons Field. Yeah, <laughs> despite what Matt thinks, yeah. Matt's like, I would never let that happen to me, and I was like, and Rand's sitting there like, well, now that I think about it, you know, with Egwene. 
all this, you know, all these little things start coming into mind that he doesn't think it's all too different from what happened with oil here. Right. Um, you know, I think which comes back to a, and we don't have to get off on the off on this topic, but I think way on back in the beginning when we were in the two rivers, I, I know I said that, or at least I think I said that it seems like the women are actually in charge in the two rivers or in Emmons Field. Yeah. And uh, this just kind of seems to confirm that a little bit. Yeah. So um, I just thought that was fun that, you know, Matt's insistent that, oh, it would never, that's not the way we do it. And then Rand's like, well, (laughs) (laughs) actually, (laughs) um, but Loyal is, is not ready to settle down. Right. Which we've, we've, we've established he's comparatively speaking, what, around the same age as Rand and the other boys? Yeah, he's, he's, he's not like terribly far away from it, but he is not considered an adult yet. Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, I, I see, I see loyal as, you know, comparatively speaking, 19 to 20 years old. Yeah. And certainly there are people who get married that young, but most people want to wait a little while and, you know, but, uh, well, for, for loyal, it's not even the idea of getting married or having a wife. That's the problem. It's that he is afraid because, the uh, the woman that he thinks of is his mother, and his mother was dead set against him going ever wow. leaving the steading. And in his mind, if he gets married, his wife will be the same thing, and his days of adventuring and seeing the sights will be yeah. done because she will ensure that he never gets to leave. Yeah, he, he, it's not so much the, the girl that he's afraid of. It's what she'll do to him that he's afraid of. Lo- loyal, loyal doesn't want a honeydew list. Yeah. <laughs> He's he's gotten that the adventuring fever, and he's got too many things he wants to see and do. But at the same time, we'll see in the next chapter that maybe it's not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we see in the next chapter that you know they 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 still kind of need loyal. So yeah, um, which I guess we can go ahead and jump into that in chapter thirty six. Yeah, among the elders. Uh, with permission from the elders of Steading Sofu, the party tries to use the way gate just outside of the Steading, but the black wind is blocking the way. Huron suggests another way, the portal stones, and as luck or the pattern would have it, there happens to be one not far from where they currently stand. Um, so you mentioned in a uh, previous chapter that the Ogier civilization seems to be more of a matriarchy and here the eldest of the elders is female yep. Yep. So there's more confirmation of that um they are definitely reluctant to let them use the ways yeah i would say it's even a little more than reluctance it's more it's it, it's reluctance and fear yeah. Well, like naturally, yeah. And 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 not just like an irrational fear, like a knowing and understood fear of these like they know exactly what the ways have become and they are rightfully not wanting people to use it. Yeah. Like it's not just that they're scared, it's that they know what will happen. <laughs> well, that's And they're being smart. They they've apparently seen it firsthand. Yeah, because they have one there in their village that has been affected by Machin Shin. Yeah, and it's it's not a pretty picture. No, uh, it, it is. Uh, I mean, honestly, it was kind of disturbing when they bring in uh, Tri- Trail, Trail. Yeah, and um, yep. he is pretty much just an empty shell. Yeah. They say he used so to have, he used to be a great tree singer, uh, but now it's almost like he doesn't even know who or what or where he is. Yeah, and it's it's really it's really heartbreaking. It's sad to see, um, yeah, what happens. And and their idea is so that the you know the the human travelers will know this is what could happen. Yeah, and. His body survived, but his soul did not. Yeah. Um, Varen, even, you know, she touches him and has this realization that though the body still lives, there's nothing inside. 
No mind, yeah. no soul, nothing of trail remains except for his body. Like the he's not there anymore. The it's just a it's just yeah. an empty husk. That brings up a, an interesting question. In the steading, uh, one should not be able to touch the true source mm-hmm. and use the power. So I'm curious. How did Varen know? Okay, <laughs> that that trail uh, was empty without using so, the power. I mean, obviously there had to be something she could do, but it just you know. There's a couple different possibilities here. Okay, and I had to be real careful so I don't share any spoilers. Oh, um, because it involves things that we haven't been introduced to yet. Okay, uh, so so what I can say is that there are ways that she would be able, not saying that's what she's doing here, I'm not ruling out her using the power here, but there are ways, and uh, even talked about in interviews with Robert Jordan, uh, the, the loss of a soul is something that should be perceptible even to somebody who can't use the power. Okay. Like, there are methods of being able to, to know and uh, it is a distinct thing that even a uh, novice person would be able to realize. I can't say what that is because we haven't approached it yet in the books. Yeah. But there are indicators that especially somebody that's as knowledgeable as Varen would understand. Yeah. And, and, you know, I just I just had a thought come to me that this isn't the first time in this book the idea of someone living without a soul has has been brought up. I, I'm reminded of the Drakkar's kiss. Yep. Um, which when we do our, our Q&A for this season, I do have something about that that I want us to, to, to talk about, but we don't really have time to get into it here, uh, unfortunately. Uh, it just triggered that memory for me. So, um, yeah. Interesting to, to think about, and I definitely want to know more uh, going there. Uh, let's talk about Loyal. <laughs> uh, I, I, I want to, you know, almost feel like I want to be back on the playground in like second grade. You know, Loyal's got a girlfriend. <laughs> so uh, when they come back out and uh, gather him up so they can go to the Waygate, uh, the first thing that strikes me in my mind, because we see him there twirling this flower in his hand. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember uh, the Disney movie Bambi. Oh, it's been a while. But what strikes me here is that Loyal is Twitter painted. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, that is what pops in my mind. Uh, uh can we legally use that word? I'm I'm not sure. Is that <laughs> it's been? I mean, I think at this point it's public domain. It's, it's been long enough, right? <laughs> right. Because that, so, that yeah, that might be an episode title. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, loyal is Twitter painted. I like it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's great. Uh, it, it's interesting, and I, I what I what, I think my favorite thing about this moment though is. It almost brings back a sense of normalcy for just a moment. Yeah. Because, you know, well, when they first met Aerith, you know, Loyal's like, oh, she's so pretty, right? And then yeah. Matt's like, yeah, you know, yeah, sure. Um, which obviously, you know, a human's probably not going to think that an Ogier is pretty. Um, but Loyal certainly does. And now we find out that apparently she thinks he's handsome. Right. Yeah. For to continue with the uh, references, uh, makes me think of the uh, Rudolph Christmas special. <laughs> she thinks I'm cute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Um, so. That's exactly. And, 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 and then, it, and then this whole thing with uh, you know Matt's kind of you know taking it out of him, and parents just like, oh, he's just jealous because nobody's ever said he's handsome. And yeah. it just it just starts this whole back and forth. It kind of reminds me of that moment when they were in the ways, 
and you know they've kind of just gotten back together and they start hearing about you know all these girls that Rand has met and you know uh, yeah. Egwene dancing with uh, the uh, what's his name Errol or what the guy the Aram Aram from the traveling people. Uh, you know, it was one of those moments where everything is, you know, there's all this darkness and stuff going on around us, all this bad stuff, and it just brings a little bit of levity to the situation. Uh, and it's, and it's commented on, you know, Rand actually comments on it that it's almost, uh, yeah, it, it's almost like being back home again. Yeah. Uh, I think it's neat too here that, again, it's that that shift in gender dynamics because Loyal is not the one doing the courting. You know, she brought Loyal flowers. Oh yeah. You know, usually <laughs> in our world, that's the guy's job yeah. uh, to bring the girl flowers. But in here with the Ogier, it's flip flopped. Yeah. So uh, Loyal is the one being pursued and getting, you know, he's the one sitting there all, you know, slack faced and giddy about getting a flower from this pretty girl. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, you know, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, in a way, you know, it all it doesn't always happen that way. I think, I think, you know, we can be the same way. Like when that pretty girl talks to you. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. you're just, again, she thinks I'm cute. <laughs> yep. Um, but the levity doesn't last long. No, it lasts uh, about the walk I, to the waygate. <laughs> yeah, I hate, I hate to bring us down, but there is something else we need to talk about. And that's what happens when they open the waygate. And Machin Shin is there. Yep. Just as it had been, well, not exactly as it had been in Kyrian, because uh, Rand actually comments that it didn't try to come out this time. To which, you know, Varen is like, it can't do that. And, you know, I'm, I'm yeah, really annoyed. She, she is obstinate. And, like, I think it's because she doesn't want to think about what would happen to the world if it came out. Yeah. I, I, and I have to say, I mean, I get, I, I guess I get where she's coming from, especially in that regard, but I'm so annoyed with Varen in that moment. It's like, I, I, if I'm Rand, I'm like, um, yeah, it can. I saw it with my own eyes. <laughs> and I yeah, pushed it back. For Varen, for Varen, Rand is not a reliable narrator because he could be going mad. Ah, that's true. <laughs> I didn't think about that. Oh well, yeah. you know what? I'm going mad with you, Rand. I'm I'm right there on your side. You saw it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what what's going on? What's the deal yeah. with the Black Wind? So there's, I think there's a couple different possibilities. Uh, you know, the first one that pops to mind is that it has something to do with Pat and Fane. Like he has somehow or another convinced. The Machin Chen to to do this. Yeah, well, that's the um, that, that's probably the simplest answer, right? Yeah, you know, because he's the only he's the most recent person we know of that's gone through the ways. Yeah, and it made more sense back in Kyrian where we know he went through that way gate, but then it ends up here. Yeah, so. but there's a problem with that theory. The problem with that theory is. Just earlier in a few chapters ago, when Patton Fane is with Lord Turok, he is expecting Rand in a couple of days. So, so he's expecting Rand to use the ways to get to him. He he's not expect like because if if Rand can't use the ways, then the only way Patton Fane would know for him to get to to Toman Head would be the several months journey over land. Okay. And so Patton Fane is expecting him. He tells Warturok, he's only a few days behind me. So he's expecting Rand to use the ways to get there. So it doesn't make sense for Patton Fane to have set Machin Shin to keep Rand out if Fane wants Rand to follow him and to get to there. Hmm. Uh, you got me deep in thought over here. Yeah. I'm trying to figure yeah. out other possibilities for what could be going on. I have no idea. I have uh, a feeling I know exactly what it you, is. You bring you bring up a good point, and and I, and I think that's mentioned too. You know, if Padden Fane wanted us to follow, why did he? Why did he block yeah. the ways? So okay, you have an idea, but can you share it? Yes. Okay. Uh, because it's not a theory that's ever really touched on in the book. Oh, okay. This is a this is a Stephen theory. Okay. 
All right. So I think you heard it here first. Yeah, <laughs> I think that it is Machin Shin being drawn to the pull of the Taviran. Because what we have here is we got all three of the Taviran boys in one place. Yeah. So their pattern, their souls in the pattern are beating and broadcasting, basically. They're pulling things towards them. What does Ma Shen Shen do? It, it eats souls. souls. So I think, basically, it's like with all three of the boys there together being Taviran, it's lighting a bonfire for Ma Shen Shen saying, Hey! <laughs> all you can eat buffet uh, right over yeah. here the beacons are lit <laughs> yeah so in my uh, mind i think that's what's happening i think that Mashin shin is being drawn to them especially to rand because he's the most strongly to out of them all right okay all right well that that's i like that theory and yeah. uh you know i i had i was kind of thinking you know as i was wondering you know could it be something to do with the power? Like, is it drawn to uh, specifically Sidene? Um, and that's why it keeps finding Rand. Or, but that's possible too, because yeah, it was made with Sidene. Well, yeah, so. the ways were made with Sidene. Well, I guess that means the Black Wind was too. Not intentionally, yeah. we as far as we know, but yeah. Uh, so there's a, that's a couple of possibilities, I guess. Yeah, uh, your theory is better thought out than mine, but. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what are we going to do? How are we going to get to Toman Head without taking months to get there? Um, Huron has an idea. Yeah. Wonderful, poor Huron. Yeah. Uh, giving these great ideas that Rand has to take and hates every second of. And, and the, thing, <laughs> the thing is, is Huron really has no idea... Of what no. he's asking. No, like, not in the least. He doesn't know. He just that, trusts. He, he doesn't know yeah. that in order to use the portal stones, like, the way it's yep. been done before is through Rand channeling. At this point, Huron just trusts Rand implicitly. Yeah. Like, Rand is his Lord Rand, and he's going to follow him, and Lord Rand will take care of it, and they will be okay. And for him, it's just like, a lord is a lord, and he takes care of things. The four stone worked because he's the lord, and yeah. he makes sure that it works. Yeah, you know, it's very—he uh, has such a blind faith in Rand at this point. Uh, it's endearing, but poor Rand <laughs> has to deal with it and uh, the consequences of yeah. it. And you know, but it, it, it's a, at the same time, you know, even though he's he's reluctant, he's also kind of eager. Yeah. And I think we've talked about that before with the way the power can affect somebody is uh, it can make you want more of it. Yeah, it's very much this balance of control and addiction. Yeah. Uh, especially for the male channelers. Yeah. So it, it is interesting here. He doesn't really want it, but he knows he needs it. And... Rand is also he takes a minute to look at Matt, and he knows from talking with Baron that Matt doesn't have months. Right, right. Like if they can't find a way to get there sooner, Matt that's, won't that's survive. Cool. And and I guess that is how he eventually convinces himself, and yeah. he even has this little dialogue with himself. He's like, you know, uh, wants to go and wants to come back twice more won't drive you mad. It's yeah. not going to hurt you to use the power just a couple of more times. Just a little more. And that's the slippery slope there. It's like, well, just a little more. Yeah. This is one more time. Just, just this, one more. You know. One more yeah. is all I need, uh, and then I'm done. Yeah. So. Uh, smoking like an addict. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, that that is a very serious thing, and it can have detrimental effects. Yeah. But, it, you know, it, it does, in a way... Uh, and I guess this is one of the things I love about fantasy is it can speak to real life issues, you know, yeah. in, a, in a way like this. Yeah. Um, you know, Sidene is like a, a drug almost that Rand knows yeah. that he should be afraid of, but at the same time, he, he wants more of it. Yeah. So. 
So we're off to Kinslayer's Dagger again. Or are we? <laughs> uh, thankfully not. Yeah. Because uh, the Ogier, you know, as soon as they start mentioning it, are like, oh, yeah, we have one of those. It's just over here. Right. There's a, there's a <laughs> it's like, stone we didn't know. By. Yeah. It's like, we didn't know any of you remembered still how to use them. But since you do, by all means. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so. And, so so as, know, as luck would have it, or is it the pattern? Yeah. Uh, is it is it Taviran? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's going to be my question, like every episode now. Is this Taviran? <laughs> yeah. Uh. So. Well, I think that'll do it for us mm-hmm. for this week, don't you think? I think so. Um, uh, do you have any final yeah, thoughts? Yeah, I've got just a couple of things. One thing that I wanted to point out, and and I had to have this pointed out to me, but I thought it was worth mentioning that. Uh, Remembering all the way back to Winter Night um, <laughs> in the Westwood, that unbelievable prediction that Rand made after, you know, he realizes that Trollocs are not just something in the Gleeman's Tales. Uh, and, and for listeners, if you want to look this up, it's in Chapter 6 of The, of the Eye of the World. Uh Basically says something along the lines of, next thing you know, I'll be meeting an Ogier giant, the green man, and a wild, black-veiled Aiel. Well, guess what? Rand has accomplished all three of those. Actually, uh, okay, well, he met an Ogier. And actually, in that same order, he met an Ogier when he met Loyal. Uh, He did meet the green man, um, who we fondly remember, is no longer with us. Uh, and, and actually, in his uh, you know, little dialogue with him, he said an Aiel man. But I'm going to count this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are women, but uh, we're going to count it. So his prediction... They'll kill you all the same. <laughs> his, his prediction came true. Uh, so yep. great foreshadowing there. <laughs> um, and, and another thing that uh, kind of occurred to me, especially as I was reading that last chapter, is I really hope that somewhere in the future, this is just me, you know, speaking out of what I do know and kind of being hopeful. I hope that there's some way that the ways could be cleansed and no longer have this issue of Machin Shin. You know, because the ways seem like that one time they were a really good thing and still could be, except for this terrible danger and i just have to have hope that maybe there's something that can be done through the power so i'm going to hold on to that for now and see what happens i would argue that the ways are are not as good a thing as you think but that's a thing for another time okay well i mean uh, obviously there are dangers involved yeah. but uh no, the idea and the, the hope that was in them in the beginning, the gift that they were, yeah. there's definitely something to admire there and to wish to reclaim. Yeah. So I get that. I'm I'm gonna hold on to that hope that maybe something could happen. And of course what's probably gonna happen is they're gonna end up being destroyed or something. But uh anyway, uh you got any final thoughts? Um just that I am interested to see where things go in the very next chapter with this portal stone. If things are gonna go how Rand wants them to, what Varen's hands in this might be. Uh, I'm also intrigued to see how long it takes for Ward to get back to steading Shanghai that a certain Ogier was hanging out in, this, <laughs> in their steading. Well, we know we know Ogier don't move very fast. No. <laughs> so maybe it'll take a while. Uh, no. Anything else? Uh, no. Uh, we didn't get any reference or mention of Selene in these chapters, though. No Selene in these chapters. No White Cloaks in these chapters. No. Uh, Steven's trying to convince me that Sean Chan are actually the worst, but I'm holding my own. Uh, yep. <laughs> but uh, I got a feeling that's all going to change pretty soon. Well, then that's going to do it for us this week. So, listeners, thank you for joining us. As always, we love uh, having you with us. Uh, just a reminder, new episodes can... Uh, be found every Tuesday uh, in your podcast feed of choice. You can subscribe. We would love it if you would rate or review this show. Let us know how we're doing. 
you can even interact with us personally on social media. We're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, YouTube. Uh, you can email us, and I believe links to all of those are in the show notes uh, where you can find us. And uh, we hope that you'll do that. Reach out to us and interact with us. Uh, we'll try to interact with you a little bit more so we can you know, get a little bit of dialogue going. We want to do that and enjoy that together. Uh, Stephen, what are we talking about next week? So next week we'll be covering chapters 37 through 39. All right. Uh, and I got a feeling there's going to be some, uh, some interesting developments over those next three chapters. Yep. Uh, All I have to say is uh, flicker, flicker, flicker. (laughs) Where have I heard that before? Um, (laughs) All right. Well, that'll do it for us for this week then. So read those chapters between now and next week, and uh, we'll be back then to discuss them. You guys have a wonderful week, and uh, see you next time.